Ladies and gentlemen, live from the gleaming streamlined studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program True Crime Uncensored, is produced, more or less, by Magic Man Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear, our fact checker, Mark C.G. Boyer, and today we have a vastly entertaining, upsetting, and a morally degenerative, horrifying experience program. And wait till we get to the topic. And isn't that every week? <laughs> yes, it is. Some weeks more than others. You know, you go to the movies, you watch TV, and you see actors, and you don't know their names, but they crop up all the time. You go, hey, look, this what's his name. Well, guess what? Who's on the show today? What's his name? <laughs> Mark Edward Howell. He's one of those actors that uh, is in a lot of movies and stuff, and you go, I think I've seen him before. Who the hell is he? (laughs) As long as he gets paid, he doesn't care. He's worked with some of the biggest biggest stars in town. Unfortunately, that town is Wastebrook, Washington. (laughs) (laughs) You got to work with Robert Duvall, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I got to do a scene with him and uh, Machete. But the reason you're on a true crime program isn't because you're in Machete, although that may be considered a criminal offense. Tragically, and we're going to go back to one of the most unpleasant aspects of your entire life, and that uh-huh. is when you were spent 16, what was it, 16 months, 16 uh, 18, weeks? Uh, yeah, 16 months. Yeah, 16 months. As being human trafficked. They treated you pretty damn bad. So how old were you? How did it happen? And tell us uh, about your living hell nightmare. Uh, well, I was uh, 18 years old. Uh, I moved from Amarillo with a friend of mine who introduced me to another friend. When we got, he told me I needed to be in Dallas. I said, well, okay. So I went to Dallas, and uh, we went to, uh, one night we went to a bar, and um, I, he left, and I didn't know it. And then I went to look for him. He was gone, and all my stuff was in his car. And uh, anyway, the guy that he introduced me to took me to uh, another person to introduce me to them. It was uh, one, two, three of them. And uh, they took me to downtown and took me, well, actually East Dallas, and uh, ended up uh, taking me down like a, a underground, I guess you'd say, underground, and uh, meeting with some people in uh that's when I got tricked into it. I had no idea. I mean, I had no com- confidence. I had no, you know, I had nothing. I just, I just so naive. And that's when I got trapped in it. So what uh, what did they do to you? I mean, how did you wind up trapped? Did they grab you? Did they strangle you? Did they hit you over there with a brick? What did they do? No, they actually led me down to the end of the underground and uh, told me not to look to the right or the left, you know, at the other people that were on the streets or that were in there. And, um, of course, you know, I, I could look with my eyes without turning my head, and I seen people getting hurt, raped, or, or beaten. And um, then after that, it was uh, they pushed me into prostitution or die, one or the other. I mean, how'd they do that? They, they sit you down and say, okay, kid, this is the story. Uh, you, you belong to us now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they would choke me and said, uh, if I ever say a word to anybody, they would kill me. And I'd do what they say. And I had like a 
two block radius. If I step in, they caught me outside of that two block radius. Then uh, it would, they would beat the crap out of me. Now, was this in Dallas, Texas? Yes, it was. So you went to this guy basically lured you. He was yeah. like a body broker. <laughs> he lured yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. He got a body broker. Yeah. And um, but after after that, I started having to, I had to uh, sell myself, as you would say, prostitution. And uh, uh, they, the people that they had me to get in cars with turned out to be rich. They were rich people. Uh, I was people that were high up uh, uh, GOP, former GOP's uh, minister. Uh, There was very few that were on the low totem pole. The rest of them were like really money-making people. Now, did they also blackmail your clients, or do you know? Uh, I don't know. All I know is I got out when I, when I, when I was finished, I left. I was, I'd go hide. Yeah. I'd hide somewhere, like in the alley or something. And how many hours a day did you have to go out there and sell yourself to the uh, rich and famous of Dallas? Uh, about six to six to ten, six to ten hours, mostly about six. And, uh, and I take uh, it you weren't the you weren't the only young man and and or young woman uh, out on no, the street. Mm-mm. No, they had twelve, thirteen, fourteen year olds. My God. Um, yeah, reminds me of taxi driver. Yeah, one of the kids that I got close to, they called him. His name was Bait. My name was Boy on the street, B O Y. You know, as Boy, and uh, his name was Bait, B A I T. Yeah. So um, I don't know whatever happened to him. I, you know, went around, went around with him a couple of times, and I don't know where he went. Went to one day, and I was like, um, you know, I've never seen him again. And I met a lady named Joanne who was a prostitute, and she'd been on the streets already for a couple of years. And uh, really, not—I mean, she's not gorgeous, but she's she's a homely girl. And uh, she was from Wichita Falls, so um, she wanted to go home. So you know how you collect change? We all decided we'd collect change and see how much money we can come up with and get her a bus ticket to go home the day. Yeah, I know this is emotional for you. I know this is emotional for you. Go ahead, take your time. But, um, the, day, the day before they, she was to go home on the bus, it was all set. Um, she was mutilated. They cut her fingertips off in her earlobes and um, just mutilated her. And uh, so I just took off when I was told I was in the alley. And that's when Charlie, my friend, came up to uh, uh, told us. I said, well, who, who got killed? Who got killed? And they told me. They mutilated her. Talking about Joanne. And that's when I just took off. I saw nothing but fog and lights, horn honking. I don't know. I didn't know if I was going to hit or die or whatever. I just kept running. It was just all faded or all fogged in there. So, but uh, also, there was one incident that happened that I was walking down the street, and I, I heard a gunshot, and I know the bullet went by my ear because I heard that, shoosh. And uh, when I got through there, 
uh, I turned around to look, and there was a boy running. He was about 14, 13, 14 years old, and he was running. Well, I thought they were after me. They were after him. So I took off running, and I ran and hid behind some, like, bots and stuff behind the the J.C. Penney's building in uh, downtown. And, um... Three guys, three guys came down in, in the alley, and I was watching behind the boxes, trying to keep. I had my hand over my mouth, trying to keep from breathing, so that they don't hear me. And I watched them beat him in the head, beat the kid in the head with a brick until he died. Oh my god! And I, yeah, and then when I got up, when they left, I sat there for at least an hour. So I got up and I scraped my back against the wall getting around him and I just saying, I'm sorry, buddy, I'm sorry, I couldn't help you because I was afraid I was going to get killed. You know, and I wanted so much to help him, but I just couldn't. And uh, so when I left, that stuck in my head for all my life. Oh, I can tell. And uh, I still pray about him, him and uh, any of the others. And they tried to get me to sell drugs. They told me to take... Now, like I said, I was naive. I had no idea what was in this little foil box, you know. So they said they'd give me $50 to take it somewhere, which was uh, East Dallas as well. And uh, I uh, I get to the address they gave me, and there was, a gun, there was a gunshots going off in this house and people running out and two or three of them falling, bleeding. I just dropped the box and ran. I had no idea what was in the box when I got back. They said, where's the, uh, where's the box? I mean, where's the money? I said, well, I, there was the gunshots and everything, and it scared me. And I dropped it. It's in that yard. And they beat the living doo out of me. I mean, they just, they beat me. And I told them, I said, I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was drug until later. And so they just beat me there. So there was no way you could but, get away from these people? No, Lord, no. Uh-uh. They were all over. They they have watchers. Sounds like a pretty sophisticated operation. Very inhumane. Yeah. (laughs) Now, this... It was. This was in Dallas, Texas. Yes. Must have been well, very well financed. They had people out recruiting people such as you, naive kids who didn't know any better, saying, hey, come on, let's go to Dallas. Yeah, you're exactly. 18, you're 18, you're not underage, come on. Get, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, they, they got the naive one, the, the simple-minded one. And, um, I mean, um, there's there so many kids on there. I didn't, it was unbelievable that were younger than me. 12, like I said, 12, 13, 14, 15. And um, I... Um, had one of the other incidents I had was I had to get in the back of this big I don't know if they call them stretch limos but they're long ones yeah and uh, so I got in the back and the guy was a uh, either a congressman or a former congressman or former GOP or something and so he took me to a a hotel or not a hotel a what they call them a condo and it was on the second floor. When they took me in, there was three or four other guys in there. And I told them, I said, I didn't know it was a party. Well, they had a little kid. I don't know if he was dark complexity, like either Indian or Hispanic. Not for sure, light skin black. And uh, they had him tied up. And they stuck a needle in my back. They grabbed me from the 
back and then stuck a needle in my back right on the top shoulder. And my leg just wilted and I fell to the floor. So they went back over to him and I noticed that the door was open a little bit and I just rubbed my legs, you know, scooting on the floor with my arms, drug my legs uh, to the stairway and I had to drag myself down to the first floor. It was on the second floor. And it, those stairways that have those holes in them, Mm-hmm, yeah. And my knee scraped across it all the way down. And I was, I was small enough I could fit under that bottom step. And I could vaguely hear him hollering, go find him, go find him. And so I hear footsteps coming down the stairs and, like, running. And I just faded out. And next thing you know, I woke up in an alley. And uh, somebody, I don't know who, had beaten me in the back with like a two-by-four or something. And um, I knew they weren't trying to murder me because all I had was those, that mood ring that turns your finger green, you know? Yeah. And I had a dime in my pocket, and that was it. So the money they were paying for you was going to somebody else? Yes. Yeah, I only got probably about 10% of it. And if they, I got any. And they kept a pretty close track of where you spent that money and where you went with it, I bet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They there was people, there was watchers. So they made sure you stayed in line? And uh, Yeah, made sure you stayed in line. They made sure you uh, didn't step out of your territory. Uh, made sure that if you, you're talking to somebody, want to be, you could see one coming up walking closely to listen to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Eight feet away. To make sure you're not like saying, call do. the cops, rescue me, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Because they'd already told me to kill me. Now, and, uh, you come from a family of, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, 16 kids. Yes, right, correct. Your, your folks must have been very busy people. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's hard to be a deacon and have children at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> But but I have to tell you what, I have to tell you something. My parents were raised us in church. They did such a fantastic job. They made it. They got it all the way through. We all graduated. We all went to school and or college. We all got a good job. And now today we're still we're still here. And I'm so blessed and I'm, I'm so happy my parents were so good to us. Well, I got to ask you a question. For, for however long you were there, you got 16 other siblings, Dan and Mom and Dad. Yes. They must have wondered what the hell happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, my brother did tell me he dropped me on the head when the house got caught on fire. No, I mean, no, I mean, they must have wondered where you went. I mean, you mm-hmm. you, you vanished off yeah. the face of the earth. Yeah, I was drain damaged. <laughs> well, no, when I when I did and I, I got off the street, after I got off the street and I had a, a newspaper article and they they asked me, uh, you know, my I mean my brothers and sisters asked me, said, Well, why didn't you call us? Why didn't you I was ashamed. You know. I mean, how did you get away from these people? When that time that they I was in the alley and they beat me in that alley. Yeah. I only had like I said, I only had a dime in my pocket and I saw this I, I call him an angel. It was like a ball of light just before dawn. It was like a ball of light, and it kept slipping the ground, like, you know, follow me. So I just walked toward that light, uh, the ball of light, and uh, I go into another alleyway, and I found a quarter. That's back when it was 35 cents to make a call in a, in a phone booth. 
So then it swept the other way and told me it was like saying go towards this way, which was Oaklawn Avenue. And um, at the end of Oaklawn Avenue, there was a 7-Eleven with a phone booth in there. So I took the 35 cents and put in that phone and it just kind of putting in my head like what numbers to dial. So I kept dialing the numbers that told me to dial, and it turned out to be my brother that lived in Fort Worth. And I bet he was surprised to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I hadn't, at first I didn't know who it was. And then it turned out to be my brother. And, um, anyway, he came and got me. And, uh, I stayed away from Dallas for two years because I already heard two or three people said they were looking for me and they were going to kill me. So I couldn't go out and get a job. I couldn't really do anything that's, you know, where my name was out there. Other than, you know, try to stay as low, low, as I could. Yeah, low, low key. For those two years. So, um, Did you ever rat these years, guys out? Did you ever go to the authorities and tell them about this organization? Oh, no, no. Uh-uh. Uh, no, I did not. I don't want to. I didn't want to. I just wanted to let it go. I wanted it to be gone. I just wanted to let it be gone. I didn't. I was too scared. I don't blame you for being scared. These, are yeah, obviously, was, these were not likable folks. No. How old no. were these people so, that were uh, bossing you around and uh, had you working this gig? Thirties. Some of them in their twenties. Some of them in the thirties. The main guy looked like he was about thirty, thirty-five years old, and he was a big, tall. There's uh, a black guy. He's a big, tall black guy, and a little bit not really heavy, but a little chubby. Uh, but then they had some muscle guys, and they had some guys in suits that looked like they just owned a jet company or something. Mm-hmm. And um, well, yeah, they had to have people were, to uh, interact with the upper crust, the wealthy, the wealthy people who uh, were uh, wanted yeah. you at their parties. Yeah, yeah, and I am a feeling that a lot of the uh, Dallas Dallas uh, upper commissions had something to do with it. I don't know, but I'm, I was just assuming. Yeah, there had to be a, a high level of corruption in order for this to be going on. Right, right. And, um, but, you know, the one that, there was one that uh, took me to a hotel that was in that group that took me to a hotel. He got his joy out of just beating me, not having, not having sex away from me or anything, but just beating me. And threw me up against the wall. He threw me up against the dresser. He threw me across the bed. Slammed my head up against the headboard, which is the uh, which are iron headboards, you know, the iron poles. Yeah. And uh, just left me laying there, and he left the hotel, and I just had to get out by myself. I had to limp out of there. Mm. My whole body broke. I bet you weren't eager to see him again. No, no, I. Uh, had a, a lot of times when I talk about these things, a lot of things, uh, for instance, when I was uh, going to uh, a theater because I wanted to do a, do a play, I was ready to do something. And I was talking to this director, 
and I told him the story, and, you know, I had forgotten about Joanne. That's when Joanne first popped back up. And uh, it was called Blue Streets. Well, he said, well, that's when I told him I broke down after I told him about Joanne because she had just popped them back in my head. And he said, that's what this show is about. It's about true pe- people, true stories of people who lived on the streets and what they went through. So he wrote part of my story into the, the play. Wow. That's impressive. And uh, so I had to go back and relive it. I bet that was a painful experience, but probably also somewhat cathartic and cleansing, having kept that bottled up inside of you for so long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, but, you know, it's therapeutic to speak about now. And uh, I still remember things that I can't quite make out. You know, sometimes I'll even have dreams uh, about things that happen on the street. Um, But it's because I think I put in my head that it's therapeutic. And I'll talk about it, even though it's emotional. I'll talk about it because... Uh, my, like my parents told me, said, "Why do you tell? Why did you tell the reporter uh, about you being on the street?" I said, "Mother, because that gives the other people that live on the street hope." Yeah. When they see that story, I can't keep my mouth shut. You know, now this was years later when I started coming out talking about it, and I had a couple of people that wanted to write a story for a show, and they had gotten. Uh, had met with me and got all the different things that happened to me and it had been now it's been two years I haven't heard back from them Uh, are you looking for someone to write your story yeah. Hey, uh, Pearl, yeah. do we know any authors that yeah. might write this story? Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> Would his name be Pearl there? Yeah, well, I know a few people who could uh, probably do a fine job on that. Hell of a story, yeah. tragic story. But uh, Yeah, I have, a, uh, I have one guy that I've been talking to. He had a script that's coming out, and he had asked me about uh, if he could talk to me about writing it. Yeah, well, what were the living arrangements? I mean, you had to obviously eat somewhere, you had to sleep somewhere, and you kept an eye on I, li- I lived in a box on, in the alley. They kept you in the, the box alley. in the alley. Yeah, the, the, most of us in the alley. Uh, I was, but I was lucky I had a two-story cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on I, up. You know, yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, it was funny because people actually knocked. Knocked on, knocked on the cardboard? Yeah. And uh, they, all on the second story of the box, you know, the second box, this is like all the canned goods or, or, or uh, blankets and sheets or whatever we had to have. And did they get you clothes? Uh, so if you had to go be with someone who was upper crust, you looked a little, a little more presentable? Uh, most of the time, they would get us clothes to wear. They would, they'd, they'd already sized us. So and then they'd tell us, they'd tell us or go, they, I wore what they told me to wear. You know, uh, unless I, now if I wasn't working or anything like that, or if I was, you know, say if it's early in the day, I just run around in my jeans or shorts, jeans or shorts or a T-shirt. Tank top, mostly a tank top, because I had to look. I was uh, a little muscular, and I, I looked like I was 13 years old. 
even though you were 18. That probably was just great yeah, it, for them. That was perfect for them. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and a lot of people said, I bet you get angry about that. I said, no, because it made me who I am today. Now I'm street, I'm street smart. I can talk to other people. I, I know how to handle people uh, that just come up to me, strangers. I know how to do all that, and I can teach other kids and uh, adults. And I, I didn't speak at college, and I didn't speak at uh, schools, high schools, and middle schools about it. You were uh, you were way too trusting of this. Friend of yours, you ever go back and look him up? <laughs> the guy who took you to Dallas? Whoever that uh, was. I found out he died. I found out he's dead. Well, it happens to yeah, sooner or later. Yeah, yeah, he died. Um, don't know. His name was Bobby. His name and um, he he ended up dying. I don't. They didn't tell me how or what, or if he was murdered or killed, or or if he just died. Whatever it was, it could have happened sooner. Yeah. Have you ever run into a former client? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had them come back. They come back uh, every two weeks on Thursday at 6.30. That stretch limo will be there. No, I mean since you got away. Oh, since I got away? No. No, I thought I had. You know, know, I'll see somebody that look, oh, my God, I know who that is. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it turns out to be somebody else. Huh. You know, how people look like somebody. Right. <clears throat> but I would stay far away from them if I knew, if, if I thought it was them. Well, in the town, wanna... town I grew up in, they had, they didn't have to do stuff like they had legal prostitution in Walla Walla, Washington when I grew up. Yeah. So everything was clean yeah. and clean and protected and, you know, uh, no yeah. one was treated that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I am. Um, in fact, years later, my brother was one of the few people at the high school who had a charge account at one of the local establishments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. He's on a plane somewhere, and a woman next to him says, "You don't recognize me, do you?" And my did he match out his card? <laughs> he said, "No, I'm sorry, I don't." He says, "You used to see me every Saturday night at the Rose Rooms in Walla Walla when you were in high school." <laughs> Oh, nice to see you again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, and that's, you know, I think about those things. uh, What would I do if I ever run into that? But I never did. Uh, Never did. How about, okay, how about the individuals running this criminal enterprise? Have you ever run into any of them? Mm, Yeah, one. They called him Angel. How'd that happen? Years later. And he, uh, I ended up uh, meeting with him. I, I ran into him on the street uh, about three, one, two, three, about three or four, no, maybe four years later. And uh, he uh, has gotten out of drug, and he's doing what I'm doing now. He's mentoring and helping other people like I am. So he got out of that business. I'm sorry. He turned his life around. Yes, he did. Yeah, and he's doing extremely good. He got city awards and things like that for helping uh, teens and older people uh, get back on their feet and uh, get a job and things like that. 
Now you managed. You were 18 at the time, and how long? How long were you living in that horrible situation? But 16. Yeah, I was in there 16, 16 months. 16 months. That's how many years is yeah. that? That's a, it's a year and four months. Year. Oh, good lord! You had I'm poor at math. <laughs> well, I, that's why I can't play cards. I'm always going to stop and count on my fingers to figure out what I got. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and be a long poker game, buddy. Yeah, hell yeah! That's why I don't play poker. <laughs> yeah, they do play poker here in the uh, at outlawradiolive.com. Uh, at least uh, what a couple nights a week, Wednesdays Wednesday and Saturdays. Night, and we might have a game tonight. But probably have a game tonight. Maybe Kato Kaylin will show up. <laughs> he usually does. Yeah. And uh, and Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker here, he's a real, he's a professional, he's a pro poker player. He doesn't have to count on his fingers. No, I don't. No. I'd have to take my shoes off and count on my toes, too. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't play poker. And, um, I tried playing but, poker um, when I was in college, but to have it to stop and count... Yeah, on my fingers. Yeah. Looking. Now, I did play the blackjack. I was pretty good at. Yeah, me too. In fact, I'll tell you. It says nothing to do with true crime. But when I was 13 years old, was in New Jersey, and my dad had worked it out that he got to play gin rummy with the national gin rummy champion, right? Huh. And the guy's just beating my dad up, you know, one side down. <laughs> it's because this guy's a you know pro. My dad was a yeah. good player, but no match for this guy. And the guy, of course, is pretty proud of himself being the national gin rummy champion. He says to me, hey, kid, yeah. you want to play a few games? And I said, sure. And I whooped his ass. He was you, furious. Because you probably didn't play off. That's that. right. I didn't play it like a professional. I just played it by the seat of my pants, did what I wanted to do. I discarded what I wanted to discard. I knew what I wanted, but I wasn't playing strategically like a professional. Yeah. No strategery? Right. Yeah, none of that. And so he was misreading everything I was doing and wound up giving me all the cards I wanted. And I'm going, Jim, bam! His eyeballs about popped out of his head. He goes, what? And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, let's I'll play another game. Beat him again. I beat him every single game. He was he he was beside himself. He was apoplectic. He was ready to explode. Yeah, not not very not very um, savvy. No, and he finally of course he figured out the reason I was winning is that I wasn't a professional. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well that's not like I was still winning. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't play golf with some people, and I don't didn't know nothing about golf. And uh, anyway, we had groups. It was a tournament, and we won. Our team won because of my handicap. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard because they give me this the club that's called the wood. Yeah, that thing was longer than I was, and when I went, swoosh, <laughs> it went flying up in the trees. <laughs> I said, uh, well, I'll go get that one. Y'all can have that one there. <laughs> and, but we ended up winning that tournament. And, um, but, uh, yeah, now, if I go to play poker with them, uh, like a group that I knew years ago, they wanted me to play poker, I was about as welcome as a cold-nosed dog out of nudist colony. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, some of, uh, sometimes those dogs can come in useful. But yeah, well, yeah they know, can. Happen to be a yeah, I got in Australia. They're sniffers. <laughs> they're little sniffers. The other family, little, bring me a sniffer. <laughs> I want one spitter and one sniffer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, how did you make? I mean, obviously, you you got away from them after a year and a half, or whatever it was, and yeah, you, you finally uh, went and got an education. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. And how do yeah, you? I got that. How, how do you go from having uh, from having sex with strangers in the stretch limos to uh, working with Robert Duvall? <laughs> how does yeah. that, how does that um, happen? Well, I met my partner. That, I, I have a male partner that I've been with for thirty five years. Mm-hmm. And when we first met, he uh, took me to he helped me get a job. He bought me a, helped me get a car. He helped me go to get, uh, go to school go to college and it went from there so I went to school probably 11 or 12 years uh, they went to like TCJC which was a, uh, the county college and I went to Katie Actors Conservatory and I also took uh, culinary arts oh you can cook too yeah I'm a chef as well Such well so deal. you not only can act in the movie you can do craft services <laughs> Yeah, I can do craft services, but I just don't. I, I the main reason I took it is because I knew I, I love to eat, so yeah. I wanted to know how to cook. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, because I'm an eater. <laughs> you're a cooker. You're an eater. I gotta ask you about some of these movies you were in. There's one that I saw the the poster for, or whatever, and I went, boy, I'd like to see this one. It's probably on YouTube. Zombie Campout. <laughs> Zombie Campout. Yeah. Yeah, zombie camp. Yeah, I was the, the I owned the convenience store uh, in the movie, and they actually I even actually said my the script. You know, I read from the script like I was reading a book. It was comedy, of course, and you even see the script, and I was reading the script as I was going to. In the movie, you're reading the script. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and uh, a zombie. I heard my dog. Barking, and I looked out, and a zombie trying to attack them. So I went out there with a baseball bat, and uh, the director was actually the one I beat up with a bat, and his head just split. Ooh, was that in the script? Yeah, one of my favorite western films that I did was uh, Blood on the Brazos. I played like a Don Knotts character. That was uh, really uh, one of my favorite ones. My brother was in that as well. We played his brothers. He was a he uh, was a chicken rancher, and I'd steal the chickens and take them to the mercantile store and exchange for butter and egg money so I can go over there and go to the saloon and play poker so that, to see the uh, saloon girl I liked. Ah. Not too many Western horror films. That would be a, you know, that would be fun, though. I would like to be in a Western horror film. You know, uh, they, uh, Tremors did a... Uh um, Origin story. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah you know, I haven't saw it. I haven't watched that yet. I saw it on Netflix, but I haven't watched it yet. And, and uh, there was, uh, I don't know how Kurt Russell got roped into it, but Bone Tomahawk got off. Yeah. Bone Tomahawk? Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. yeah it's just. Huh. I'll have to check that out. It's not. Uh, not worth checking out. Not worth it. <laughs> I mean, the whole the whole point of of the uh, publicity is that in one scene, mm-hmm. a person gets split down the middle. And well, that sounds yeah. enchanting. Uh, no. Oh, there you go. <laughs> now, I guess I'll be eating my popcorn at that time. <laughs> yeah, in sea, Seaside Serenade, are you singing that one? Uh, that one I was played a snake. I had my uh, I had contacts in that were snake eyes, and. Uh, the guy that did the movie died before he could get it out. Yeah, he passed away and nothing ever happened went with it. Nothing went there. Um, but uh, I did a, you know, I had a lot of commercials and theater and music videos as well. And 
Yeah, I like comedy and I like extreme drama. I, th- I was impressed, uh, ladies and gentlemen, by his versatility. I think I put a uh, might put a link up there on the. Uh, Maybe not uh, to uh, one of his little sizzle reels. No, you did not have a link. I didn't have. A, I had a link to his music video. One of his music videos. Yeah. Um, now uh, I'm not singing in that. I'm lip syncing. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was lip lip syncing on that one. I did several uh, music videos. I did uh, seven of them. The well, lights should keep working. Do you ever get any free Doritos from doing a Doritos commercial? Oh, man, you know what? I did, but we didn't get... Um, did you get paid We didn't either? get anywhere with that. No. Yeah, we got paid a little bit, but not, you know, because it was a independent commercial. Yeah. And it was uh, one of my best friends who passed away COVID uh, in December. Uh, it was his Doritos commercial. And uh, that was one of my... That was so much fun. It was so much fun. And, uh, but we didn't get... We got... To a certain point, I can't remember if we got number 85 of all of them, but out of thousands of them, you know. Yeah, I remember That's the other competition, good. yeah. Well, I recognize you when I see you, you know, if I see you on a TV show and uh, yeah. uh, Eye for an Eye, you were a guest star on that one. Yeah, my brother was in that with me. My brother was in that with me as well. Well, you're, you're, you guys were doing pretty darn good. Yeah, and um, he, we tried, but like I say, you know, I really hadn't done anything in the last two years because of going through cancer. Uh, you know, like I say, I'm cancer-free now, but uh, going through that, I just couldn't do anything. You were in Den of Thieves. They're doing a Den of, Den of Iniquity. Den of Thieves. They're doing a Den of Thieves too, and our buddy Punch is a uh, consultant on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pac-T and uh, what's his name, 50 Cent, they were in prison together. <laughs> <laughs> you never know who's going to be in prison. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. Yeah, I don't want to go to prison. That'd be my luck. They'd put me in a cell with Big Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least, you, at least you'd know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I dropped a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> don't pick it up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, live from the Soapily Beautific Hills of Encino, California, where in- stop that, where industry and nature work hand in hand to create a better life for all of us. The following program is produced with a there we go great alacrity and vengeance by Magic Matt Allen. Yes, on the Outlaw Radio Network. He's produced by Lori Downey Jr. That's what I thought. Yeah, the, the lady blonde. She's got legs of a dancer. Did I ever tell you I got the brains of a seven-year-old boy? And the seven-year-old boy wants them back, right? Okay. Now they're in the trunk of my car. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> my God. Uh, What's the matter with you? I, well, we start every show that way. You have some sort of very, very off-color. Here's, here's something that I find fascinating about today. Oh, you're show. jumping in now? Go ahead. Well, that's Mark Boyer. That's uh, Howard yeah, Lapidus. Yeah. He doesn't have to ask what our guest is wearing. Yes, usually the first thing I ask a female guest, no matter, yeah, Aaron Moriarty, oh, doesn't matter geez. who they are, I go, here we go. What are you wearing? Here we go. <laughs> Today we know. Today we know what she's wearing. She's here with us. She is a hot crime hottie. Yeah. 
So I was looking things up about our fine guest today. Yes. And I'm sitting in a, um, now you're going to love this because our yes. guest is here, in the office that was once mine in a house that I still, I think, own uh, next to a person that will almost be my ex-wife very soon. Okay. How are we doing with that? We good? You're following this thing? And I'm on this computer screen is is a picture of you, our fine guest. Yes. And I said to myself, I said, my goodness, uh, you know, and she goes, Burl Bear wants to sleep with her. <laughs> that, uh, right. well, wait a minute, wait a minute. And that would distingu- distinguish me from other women. <laughs> As opposed to all the other women. I, well, that, that's her, her whole thing is, well, Burl just wants to sleep with all the women. And and that's why I'm still not married to her anymore. You see, because <laughs> he defends me. Because, yeah, I defend him. Well, well I think Mr. Yeah. Goldberg, her beloved husband, would probably still have, have him. And on, that's still what I told him. Toria Pinchon. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You're pronouncing it exactly correctly. Her new right. book is entitled "A is for Asshole." That's and when I saw that title, so I said, good. "This woman belongs on Outlaw oh, Radio." So good. Because we have them. We have them stacked like cordwood at about three o'clock. And that's just us guys. <laughs> right now, do we have what four Jews? No waiting. Is it four? I know. Are you Jewish, too? You're just your no, husband. No, just by affiliation. Just by affiliation. Well, that's bad and enough. And, Close and, enough. And, and hopefully by injection, but that's just another story. Oh, I'm sorry. Speaking of assholes, that's Howard Lapidus. That's Mark Boyer. Hello. I'm Hi, Burl Bear. The program is Hi, True Bear. Crime Uncensored. And the idea is, and as I mentioned on our, our blog, every week we have people, we talk about situations where people murder other people or horribly abuse other people because they get so pissed off at them. Because they just, I can't take it anymore instead of getting a divorce. Look, a lot of people say to me, oh, gosh, you're getting divorced. Why? What happened? I said, well, we were making love on a pile of money. And I said, this has got to stop. <laughs> and I know you want to talk. And you're ready to go. And eventually I'm talking. I'll be allowed to. Yes. You will be as soon as I shut up. Tell him to shut up. Good luck on that. Look, so, okay, Howard. So, so where's the conflict? Howard. Shut up. In your book, A is for Asshole, The Grown-Up's Guide to Conflict Resolution. If I go to the first chapter where you're going to set it up and tell me what the deal is, what am I going to learn? Learn naming, blaming, and claiming. You're going to learn why people have, why everyone has conflict over relative positions and the perception that they're being deprived of something. And how a dispute over a parking place Gets, that just happened. My my girlfriend was in Wisconsin, and a guy she was supposed to meet with, she couldn't meet with him because he was dead, because he was shot dead in a dispute over a parking place. Exactly. There are people killed every year in disputes over parking places, and then you ask yourself, what is the problem in the Middle East? These parking places. Have, yeah, these, these people have owned this piece of land for thousands of years. You've been entitled to that parking place never what? never like, entitled to it three seconds well, you well feel you, entitled you feel you to it, sure. right because you've been waiting for so it. what happens there how does that happen how does it escalate to something like that i'm asking our guest mark thanks for being here yeah. so, hey mark yeah. there was a, a very interesting social study done out of uh, a uh, southern university where they examined territorialism with uh, individuals in their parking spaces did they really Yes, they did. And they found that individuals would go to their car to leave. If there was somebody waiting, they took an average of 35 seconds longer to leave than when nobody was there waiting for them. And there's a there's an innate uh, desire for people to hang on to what they have. Oh, yeah. I mean, women have to sort their purse out before they back out of that damn parking lot. <laughs> No, but you're, what you're saying is that there's a competitive spirit 
that pervades the human race so that when I see what someone has, I want it more if they've got it. Well, their, their perspective was that the person who has it doesn't want to relinquish it. Right. Now, if there's no one there, they're just off to go do their next thing. But if someone is waiting for them, they take longer because now they... They don't want to relinquish. They don't want to relinquish it. Okay. They have power, and they can dally and make the person wait. And it's something deep inside. But how... Let's say... Primatology. It's it's primatology. So 50 million years ago, we separated from um, the same line of primates that the, um, oh, I cannot remember. Like Cro-Magnons or something? No, there's a particular monkey, and, this, and the social scientists at Yale have created a monkey economy in their lab because they wanted to see if the monkeys dealt with money in the same way human beings do, which is irrationally. But <laughs> irrationally well, in a similar way. Are they and paying for that, to watch the monkeys run around <laughs> yes, they with are. the dough? Yeah, that's yes, funny. That yes, actually humors me. What are so, we going to learn from that that we can here, really take away? Here's the most interesting thing that I take, took away from it is that um, – they did a comparison of work and salary. So they taught the monkeys to work for cucumbers, which was money. Right. And then they had they put a CEO monkey in one. A CEO monkey. There's a lot of those. Yeah, we got a lot of those. Yeah. CEO monkey in one cage okay. and the worker monkeys in the other cage. Okay. And the CEO monkey did what? Nothing. Nothing. The CEO okay. monkey did nothing. I'm a CEO. The, I can. I know that. The worker monkeys worked, and they were fine when the CEO was earning the same. They were fine with two times, three, four, five times was the magic number for really? them. Okay. They threw all of the food out of the cages. That was the end of it. Screamed and yelled, jumped up and down, and essentially staged a hunger strike. Formed a union. Did Thank he, God Did he that. have to throw... Did he <laughs> organize, to, organize, organize. Did he know that he could solve that conflict by throwing some cucumbers back into the pot? No, because you can, because the monkeys care more about... Fairness, and they care about money, just like us. But don't you think that the if he threw some money back in the pot, it would be fair? Oh, they if, the, if fair? the probably bring it down about four and a half, where they could they, they could live. They might four point nine. They might four point nine five. Yeah, well, you know, well, watch the next election cycle and see what happens. Well, that's exactly what we're dealing with. I was going there, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but um, wow. yes. At what point? I mean, I think that yeah. CEO compensation is now something like. You know, well, it's a 20, to one yeah, it's crazy. It's it's, it's, it's the monkeys are getting upset. The I make cucumbers are flying. Yeah. I make at least thirty to one over my employees. The yeah. problem is, is that thirty is about three dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing well. But when you have, you know, I have I have a stepdaughter who's a consultant for Deloitte, and that's a relatively conservative business environment. Deloitte too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, they uh, they make they, they make they make money by charging exorbitant prices for weekly training the technicians. Well, there you go. Uh, thanks well, for the endorsements from the <laughs> on behalf of my friends at Deloitte too. <laughs> they don't have my endorsements. So she, she and I have a running discussion about Occupy Wall Street. And What's her can, thoughts? What are well, her, th- her thoughts? Are that it's ridiculous and childish and wrong and sure. bad and and your thoughts my are my thoughts are that it's a it's a it's a social upheaval. You're a damn Kennedy Democrat, aren't you? I am, of course. I Thank am. you. Um, limousine liberal. <laughs> well, let's be careful because everyone else that will show up. Is- <laughs> yeah, well, here, 
assholes here, show the, up. The only, the only guys here that have any kind of liberalism are in the room now. <laughs> what happens later, I can't account for. I can't account for. Uh, no. But she knows that it's like monkeys. Uh, it is. Well, I, it's I, just I, like monkeys. It is monkeys. So, no, but think about that. So we separated from these monkeys 50 million years ago. And fairness is more important to them than money. So fairness, this, this drive to have a fair system in which we're working, is 50 million years deep in us. Well, but America won't work as a kibbutz. Yeah, I'm not prescribing socialism or communism. <laughs> no, you know, like a, a liberal, <laughs> a, a, Like a liberal Democrat would be nice to see again somewhere. Sometime. Well, yeah, but I, I, I want to be a liberal Democrat that doesn't give the house away. Well, that's not a liberal Democrat, well, is it? The House away. H O U S E. I like, I like that. Show. Well, what are you going to do this time? You know, it's this is a rough one. This election. This is a rough one. Yeah. Yeah, I but let's go. Let's go back to conflict no, resolution. This, that is oh, conflict. That is so conflict. It's so much fun to talk about what a stupid move it was of Romney to pick Ryan. Yeah. He's got the right. Right. He's got the right. Where are they going to go? Worse. It's a bad move, but I'm not here to you know to yeah. tell plus those he, Plus, he's uh, re-energized the Democratic base, which is disappointed and angry at Obama. Now that, that Ryan is on the scene, they almost Palin. they almost had me. Palin with a I'm brain. telling you, they almost had me. They had me. The, the guys here will tell you they had me, and then the Ryan thing put threw me back into the water. Yeah, well, so. you should definitely be climbing up on Barack Shore. <laughs> it's the only place to go. Well, there you go. And that's not a that's not a great choice either. Well, don't worry about it. But you know, yeah. and let's stay job. unpolitical for, from now on. Okay. Back to okay. conflict resolution. Back to conflict resolution. Okay. Now, I mentioned to you when we were she and I were having a little conversation on the internet, and I asked her if she'd ever read Dr. Milton Layden's uh, work on uh, hostility reduction. Okay. I have By the way, oh, here we go. Howard Lapidus. Yeah, he's whatever way me. the wind blows with him, <laughs> yeah, you can't believe an effing word he says. <laughs> that's correct. Honest to God. Yeah, because you can believe at least Burl Bear. No. No, what I said is he's consistently on. a communist. Magic man. What I did say is I heard what you, you said. had me. You had me. Okay. You know you had me. I'm gone again. Okay. Yes, because you're an idiot. <laughs> okay, now here we have conflict resolution. Oh, by the way, I subscribe to what he just said. I the, these I, are you guys are the guys I learned how to practice law with. <laughs> you say that with a certain degree of benign resignation. She's, no, no it's she said, fun. Of course it was fun. It was fun. Of course it was I fun. I started out as a plaintiff's personal injury attorney working on a contingency, which I thought was righteous. Mm-hmm. Would you help me with my landlady? <laughs> <laughs> I'm finished, baby. I don't practice law anymore. I know. That's exactly why I want you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Dr. Milton Layden, back in 1947, did study on hostility. Yeah. And he said basically what you were saying earlier, and that was human beings only become hostile when they feel a lowering of status or position. Yeah. Like a trapped rat. Right. And so what they tend to do is to have a feeling of martyrdom within themselves and then overcompensate by upping the ante. Like, well, your mama, well, your mama, well, you, well, yeah, but you, and it goes higher and higher and higher. And uh, the way to, to reduce the hostility was not play the game. Someone says, you know, you're a stupid idiot, blah, 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 blah. I go, you know, you may be absolutely correct. I haven't looked yeah. at it that way. Now, let's, you know, let, let's take a look at you know, and not up it, not go, well, you're a bigger idiot, you know. Well, here's the, here's the, um, here's the second part of that or the underside of it. Um, 
anger and rage consolidate your sense of yourself and your agency, your authority, uh, when you're feeling frightened or anxious Mm -hmm. or ashamed. So, um, or hungry, angry, lonely, tired. (laughs) And hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. (laughs) So, um, so shaking up the country. You know, after 9-11 with the, the red and the yellow alerts and keeping everybody edgy and frightened is just the kind of environment that will attract someone able to harness that rage into a political movement. Fortunately, the Tea Party is, I think, too fat, actually, to uh, take over the country. Because it worked in Germany. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? And, and we're, we got political again, but but um, yeah, seriously, I should stop. I, I'm not going to let you I'll let you answer. What, what, what do you what do you mean they're, they're too fat? Well, I think that there is too much self satisfaction in uh, among those people. They have still too much to lose. That means we have to take a 60 second break. <laughs> that was Matt screaming. <laughs> we have to take a 60 second break to let our local stations. Uh, come up with a fake name for themselves <laughs> we'll be right back if you own an iPhone or ride the plastic pony in front of Kroger you are no longer tied to your computer you are now free to roam and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go grab an Outlaw Radio iPhone application the smoke and drink and interrupting did I say interrupting 24 hour party that you follow now follows you. Your iPhone is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends at Outlaw Radio, like me. Change the way you listen to the radio seven days a week, now available at the iTunes apps. Hi, I'm the legendary Burl Bear, Edgar Award-winning true crime author, better known around here at Outlaw Radio as good old Uncle Crazy. They think I'm nuts. They could be right. But however, in my off hours, I write award-winning true crime books. In fact, I have a couple new ones out right now. One's called Headshot. Yes, two and a half psychopaths, three and a half trials, an appeal to the Supreme Court, and a couple dead bodies. One of them without a head, the other without a face. That's just for warm-up. Then we also have the book Masters of True Crime. Over a dozen top true crime authors in one book edited by R. Barry Flowers. Masters of True Crime. And then coming in December, Body Count, the true story of the Spokane serial killer. My name is Burl Bear, B-U-R-L-B-A-R-E-R. Buy all my books or you go to hell. Yes. (laughs) I just thought I'd mention that as an added inducement. To True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and and Howard Lapidus and featuring Mark C.G. Boyer That's me. and occasionally and sometimes Marie Mackey Esquire. Hasn't done the show in a year and a half. No, no, she's filled in for you. I know, I know once. Produced by Magic Matthew Allen. Who in turn is produced by the tall Lori Downey Jr. By the way, now our, back to the aforementioned. But our guest headsets are going uh, frittata. No, I think they, she's just talking about the thing cutting in and out. Oops. 
Is that right? Are you okay now? We're fine now. Oh, good. Okay. Well, Victoria. Victoria Pinchon Goldberg. We don't mention the Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of assholes, if you turn around, <laughs> you'll see Johnny Cosmo. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Johnny. That was extremely rude, Girl Bear. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's not an a-hole. Okay, I take it back, Johnny. You're not. You're not an a-hole. No, 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 no. He is. And and I also admit, I I take full credit for being an a-hole. I, when I saw the title, I said, "My God, she's written my autobiography." How did this happen? And your book is even illustrated with little clever cartoons. She said that I should lay out my landlord problem for her, and she could solve the conflict. Oh, okay, but that would take an hour. It would. Yeah, she's got a nutcase. I mean, she's psycho. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's I, and as, as I told Bill earlier. I, I don't. I didn't major in psychopathy. Well, this is what we have, and she's a doctor of psychology, which is my favorite. Yeah, well, that's. And there's your problem right there. There, there it is, right there. That's your wounded yeah. there. Yeah, because people become psychiatrists and psychologists because they want to know what's wrong with them. That's right. My unit, because uh, I had a. Don't this, talk about your unit, <laughs> bro. It, yeah, I had to leave the house. So I think you got that that pretty clear. So I find this first place I find is guest house, and, and there it is. And uh, she she uh, so many things I should have. Hey, you know, sometimes the switches of reason are all closed, and they were for me. And I usually can do better than this. Um, she says, well, all the seats in your unit, which used to be my office, are exactly the same size because they have to be exactly the same size because that's how my practice is. Nobody can be taller than one another. And I'm sitting there going, yep, okay. She's <laughs> okay, a lovely she's lady. <laughs> she's reasonable. Yep. <laughs> that should have been your first warning. Anyways, he's got service. You know, from service, that's what he's yes, got. Yes, I know service. Yeah, yeah. And he's buying a new service uh, four-door uh, right after the show. And and I subscribe to Service XM. You know, <laughs> do, do, you know, when I was a kid growing up, my father had a boat. It was called Service to Second. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, Howard's opening a new restaurant. Finish 101. Wait till you hear the title of the restaurant Howard's going to open. What, the, the one in Beverly Hills? Yeah. Trafe. <laughs> Isn't that a great name for It's like being in a Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. The show is like that. It's way too hot. Yeah. Yeah, we subscribe to Woody. Okay, now... Let's try to get back to conflict resolution. for what? Hey, people, hey, hey, hey. I want what? some conflict. <laughs> some people love conflict. They yes. thrive on it. They, yes. la they have to be in 911 mode all the time to yes. know they're alive. Yes. How do you deal with that? I, Shoot them? I, I personally deal with that like I would deal with a frightened animal. Because people who are in uh, a constant angry state, and I, I mediate, so, and I mediate with lawyers, and I mediate mostly in a male-dominated um, profession, so it's like 90% of the people I mediate with are men who say they aren't emotional, and yet... They have anger. They are in a controlled state of rage most of the time, so I guess men don't consider anger. We are not! Emotion. <laughs> except, except uh, you know, not to keep talking about me, because well, I always you always do, anyway. do. right? I mean, uh, but I'm, oh, I, I, I think I'm this nice guy, and then I step back and I go, I am the meanest, biggest a-hole in history. I, I mean, how, what is that? I don't want to be that guy. A diminished sense of self causes. That. Well, you'd already know that, but I, I, I advertise that. That's not. A, that's no secret. A diminished sense of self. Yeah, and, and, and probably and, and the conflict resolution style you were raised with. Okay. So, you know, you, you I was raised.
raised with um, conflict denial. Now, the everything's fine. Family. Everything's right. fine. Everything so was everything was plates. swept under the carpet, right? Exactly. There would be furniture broken the uh-huh. night before and plates smashed. And my sister and I would wake up, you know, little kids, and say, "What happened?" And we nothing. Were told nothing happened. And if we if we came out in the midst of the scene, right? Then we were told nothing was happening. Okay. And, and yet so, the plates are flying and glasses and are flying. Did, did your parents so it creates a new sense Did your parents of, divorce eventually? Oh, thank God, yes. You say thank God. How old yes, were you? I was nine. And at that point, and this is just for my own personal, seriously, I'm really taking He's a mess. Magic. <laughs> but at that point, as a kid, you, you pretty well got it, right? Yeah, you, you, you pretty well have it. Yeah. Early, by, by three. Or it has you. By yeah. three. Yeah. So my kids who are 13, they know that pop is a good... <laughs> yeah, it's very confusing because you, from how it was, and like stick around... And there, there wasn't it now. There yeah. wasn't any template then for what you did. I stuck five years too long. And yeah. the reason was... But you'll stay in town. My father blew out of town. I'm staying in town because this is where, you know... Like, plus, he got such a good deal on this room from this landlady. <laughs> I'm back in the house, and I want to sue her for that. Do, do you realize the damage that's going on with me right now? No, no, seriously. It's fantastic. I'll be doing it on the next show. I have tape of this one, which I play, and you know that's highly illegal, but I don't care. Yeah. Someone on the phone, you're okay. No, no hang on. on. You've, you've left Harold. You have no reason. Right. And speaking anything. of reasonable expectation of privacy, she comes in and out of my unit at will. Doesn't give me 24 hours notice, nothing like that, and says that that's not the law. Yeah. Cute. Well, yeah, I'd get out of there. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I haven't been in there because I, it, it was a danger to my health. I had the, uh, I'm so crazy. I called the health department, or not the health department, but the mold guys to yeah, come in yeah. and test, and it does test high for mold. Right. And I, I had to go to the doctor and was in a, I had to get a CAT scan and everything else. I'm in good shape here legally. No, I'm, Victor, just, I'm just pointing at Victor. Vic. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're doing a show here. Oh, I didn't say anything. How? Why are we? Why are we? Oh, just why did you just bring a truck that's, uh, that's one of your uh, classic cases there in the title of your book. Yeah. <laughs> Which now I'm lost track. A is for asshole. Me. <laughs> okay, the woman is getting overwhelmed by you, Howard. Okay, I'm going to shut up. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned that there are three the three th- three stages of conflict: naming, blaming, and claiming. Uh, so, uh, what kind of uh, attributes do they, do they have? Well, really, it's just what it's what Bill was talking about that that the conflict arises out of the perception that you're being deprived by someone. If you don't feel like you're being deprived by someone, if you're just deprived, say everybody's deprived. It's the depression. My parents told me that nobody felt poor because everyone was poor, right? But now you've got look at Occupy Wall Street. So you have the one the the railing against the 1% because there's so much attention being paid to the wealthy that the you know some major portion of the 99% are actually beginning to feel that they're being deprived by these other people so that's naming the rich as the source of their deprivation and blaming, blaming them for it and then making a claim and that's Occupy Wall Street you have to have a target for the first part you can't be. Well, you can't. You got That's the word blame. Yes. Look it up. Yeah, you have to have. Well, name. Yeah, you have to yeah. have a, a target. And so when I talk to my stepdaughter, um, a, who's more politically conservative than I am, about Occupy Wall Street, I say I see it as a as a social upheaval 
not as something good or bad, but an indication that there's a malady in the body politic that needs to be addressed. Mobs it's a are, symptom. It's a symptom, yeah. Mobs don't have a brain. <laughs> mobs, yes, they, they do, I thought. Well, I no? Nah. Uh, not really. They're not planning ahead. So all it is, all it is, is it's from the shoulders down? I a think, mob is from the shoulders down? Uh, it's you know from the talk, gut. Hang on a you second. You know when we talk politics and outlaw radio? It's boring as hell. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> not unlike what's happening right now. But <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not. Well, this show is always boring. But the point is... <laughs> Thanks, Matt. That we, produced we by least, Matt Allen, by the way. We at least have uh, a fair and balanced group of folks that it's are on the... But this, yeah, there are count, But in this group, <laughs> it's all, all a bunch of lefties kissing, right. kissing, yeah. kissing the worst president of all time's ass. Yeah, I think you've Jimmy got Carter, First of all, Jimmy Carter laughs. Jimmy Carter laughs at Barack Obama. Baba. That's hey, how hey, bad. And hey, first of all, first of all, you, would you oh, Victor? Hey, Victor. Yeah, Vic, go in there. No, Howard doesn't like when I when I step in. Oh, that's too bad. I'm producer. Go in there. Give your side. So go ahead, fire away. I want, well, to, I, want to, I want to hear some of this nonsense. No, she's talking about conflict well, if resolution. If we're going to talk about Barack, we should talk about his negotiation strategy and tactics and whether or not it's working. Is it? It is working. It happens to be uh, the expertise. Party, I think. The expertise of our guests. So let's stay with him. Agree that it's let's working. stay. Good. It's, Thanks, Vic. It's, it's, okay. We'll see you on the next show. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Howard. Producers said I can stay. So Hold on. Do, stay but do stay within the expertise of, of right. this lovely woman. Which is well, you have that's, to, that's only fair. That's here's what we're doing. Thing, here's the thing about responding to... Um, responding to attacks. You need to, resp- you need to respond proportionally to a, a personal attack or a political attack or an but attack on your resources. But you were the and there was no one here no, to attack you for it. Yes, That's she was. right. Angry mob. I, the angry mob would be the Occupy no. Wall Street people, not the Tea Party. That's, that's, we're we're that's not what saying that's, okay. that's who we're referring that's exactly to. Exactly where she's. That's okay. exactly what we're talking about. That's okay. what I was talking Continue about. Continue on listening. Yeah. So cool. That's all. You look angry. Oh, well, that's Vic. <laughs> I'm real angry. No, yeah. he's angry. Like he's got a shot. Wait a second, Vic. You look angry. Yes. Do you feel angry? No, I'm livid. <laughs> <laughs> Vic's an actor. We have no idea anything. <laughs> I don't know anything. Right. You didn't say you didn't. We just don't know. <laughs> Thanks, Howard. Anyway, right, so you so were saying about... about I say, all I was saying is that if you are attacked in some way, either your your home is attacked or someone attacks you verbally or someone steals your parking place at the Beverly Grove, you, uh, you need to respond proportionally with a proportional attack back. Right to punish someone for doing what? Yeah, the problem with that is it leads, to, it leads to war. But that, well, I, but that I agree with. The, proportionally, proportionally. It, no, what, that's she's, the, what she's saying is true. But the problem is, in a perfect world, that would happen. You're right. Proportional is correct, but it do, unfortunately right. it doesn't. Well. People, I mean, it's very hard to finally calibrate it. But if you over-respond, if you over-retaliate, then you have conflict escalation, which leads to war. And if you and if you don't retaliate, you go into a cycle of victimization. So you did. So you did say. But you did say it's tough to calibrate. So who then is the? So then who is the judge? Then who who is that mighty judge who knows how to calibrate this? We we do. I mean, we We make we make an effort. I mean, we just make an effort. I mean, we we have to rely on one another. And I think that, you know, with everything that's wrong in the world, there's an awful lot that works. Well, people stand in line, for goodness sakes. Really? They stop at red lights. They, I mean, people behave themselves mostly, right? They do. 
So we, we have a society in which we're accommodating. I think someone. people are generally good. Yeah. Uh, so I agree. And I also think that the, the hostility towards the left is, it, you know, look, we're all Americans. Wait, the hang on a second. Hey, well, yeah, you came in there's here more, with Vic. and you hostility in, toward the right. Yeah, but you come in Every here. Every network except oh, Fox oh, is, is, conserva- is, is yeah, let, not let, let's, conservative. Historically, Howard, there's been no reply to the left, only in the last 15, 20 years. Let us, let us, let us chat about this for just a second, Please, because I want to talk about no right, no left, but American. Mm-hmm. And I feel that you you set it up so you and I are on opposite poles, and and as an American, I, I welcome you. You don't welcome me. No, I disagree, uh, Howard. I do welcome. Then you. show me that you welcome me. Uh, when you told me that uh, that uh, you're, you're you're considering or had or had considered Hold down your pants. Had, consider, <laughs> had considered changing uh, your vote because you're a business person and you're and you're a thinking person yes. and you're, th- uh-huh. you're looking at right. the situation. That's correct. And making a business decision. That's correct. Via a vote. Yes. I'm very welcoming to that. Guess okay. what? That's, that's, that's not the case. And, and I'm welcoming to other people who have looked at the situation and say, you know what? I want more of this Barack Obama for whatever reason, without attacking and denigrating what's happening on the right, which which is what happens a lot. Well, I've never done Let's it. Let's have our I've guest never, Howard. Shut up. We've Let's polarized. Say. The whole country is pol- has polarized so that the moderate voices have dropped out of the discussion because they don't feel comfortable having it. And yeah. the the extremes then tend to take over, and you know yes. we we have different chan. I mean, we watch different channels. We list. We read different papers. We're you know we're not we're not having the same experience. I I watched the um, I was watching the presidential debates in the '08 election, and I had just started. By the way, that's not true. I do I do watch. All of those. CNN, MSN. You don't even have cable. How is it that you can seriously come in here and say that? Dive bars. <laughs> okay. Some people, watch all, some people watch all the channels, but most people watch the channels that make them feel comfortable because cognitive dis- dissonance is a very unsettling state. People don't like to have their settled ideas challenged on a, you know, every other second. So I was, anyway, it was 08. I was watching the presidential debate and I was following my Twitter stream. And it was like there were, there were like two completely opposite experiences. Uh, experiences that people were having of the debate. And some of it is confirmation bias. So we, we tend to, hear what confirms our existing beliefs and discard as unworkable or, or wrong or not even worthy of our attention something that contradicts them. And so, you know, we live with these cognitive biases that that tend to be polarizing. Can I, can I comment? Or? Yes, please okay. do. We on the right, we on the right feel that the country has been usurped these last three and a half, four years, beginning with this Affordable Care Act, which I call the Unaffordable Care Act, and the bottom line is, we can't afford it. The country is out of mo- out of money. This mindset that uh, uh, some 46 to 48 percent of the country feel or, or is re- is receiving some form of government benefits, and not quite a, ma- a majority of people feel that they should be entitled to things when they're really not entitled to things. For so, for example, health care is not an entitlement. You are not entitled to it. We have to work for things in this country. We have to. What, what is the reason for getting up in the morning and going to work, 
putting a full day's work in to make money if, the, if, if there's a, a segment of society that doesn't need to do that, if they're getting their rent for free. Do, getting, do you have health care, Vic? I'm sorry? Do you have health care? I don't, Howard. Sorry. For your information. No, I said I'm sorry. <clears throat> sorry, you don't. Uh, I don't I, have I don't, health care because I, I, don't, hope, I, don't, I don't have choice in health care. There, there is a law that doesn't allow uh, uh, insurance companies to compete across state lines, and that's the issue. That's the issue. If there, if I had a choice of 50 different health care, I can go as low as $25 per month, all the way up to the Rolls-Royce, two, three, four, five thousand $5,000 per month, but that's not, that doesn't exist because we had to federalize it, because we had to take, take the choice out of it. And, and, and all in the name of fairness, quote-unquote. Well, thank you, Vic. However, I will mention, in addition to what you're saying, that in 1948, the United States of America ratified the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, in which universal health care was promoted and agreed to by the United States, England, many other countries, as being something to which all people were entitled. The only question was, how do we implement it? Through the UN? No. Universal Declaration of Human Rights? League of Nations, probably. League of Nations with the twins. But anyway, we're going to take a 60-second break, and we'll be back and discuss conflict resolution with our highly conflicted and no doubt distraught guest, <laughs> Victoria Fitchard. This week, the Republican leader in the House of Representatives offered his plan to create jobs. Unfortunately, it's a plan based on the Main Street values of hard work and responsibility. This is our economic plan. Take us backward at a time when we need to keep America moving forward. And what we can't afford right now is to go back to the smart investments in America's small businesses because I don't want to see new small businesses. I won't create jobs. I will kill them. That's the spirit we need right now. And that's the future I know we can build together. Yes, of course. Burl Baron. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back to True Crime Uncensored. I am Burl Bear. Howard Lapidus is here. Mark C.G. Boyer, our guest, Victoria Pinchot, author of the fabulous new book, A is for Asshole. Sensational. <laughs> Best title <laughs> in show business. A is for Asshole, the Adults Illustrated Guide to Conflict Resolution. So um, Matt made a, asked a question. Who would be the arbitrator... Uh, the person that decides what balanced is, what where the median is, and uh, my my feeling is is that most people come to conflict from an emotional emotional perspective and not from an educated. No, we're not talking left, left right, conservative, liberal. We're talking just human beings. No, you're talking about education and doing the research. I'm, yeah, and I, right. that's exactly where I'm going. Yeah. 
if you want to be that arbitrator, you have to arm yourself with knowledge. Yes. And we now have some material that presents that information in a, in a logical way that allows one to learn what conflict is and how to approach it in a manner that's intelligent and balanced. Well, you know, I, I, when I started mediating and I stopped litigating, I, um, I started speaking, and I spoke at an international conflict resolution conference and met this guy named Adir Waldman, and he wrote a book called Arbitrating Armed Conflict, and it was about an agreement between Israel and Jordan to uh, arbitrate disputes over whether or not uh, either side had violated the rules of war that they were operating from, which included not shelling um, civilians. Uh, but there were a lot of disputes over, you know, what was civilian and what was not civilian because they're fighting in the streets, right? So, and what they did is they had five countries. They had the United States, Israel, Jordan, France, and I can't remember the fifth. Was this during the Carter administration? No. Um, and they, um, they weren't actually arbitrating. They were actually mediating. They brought all of these people in. They had to be in this one geographic locale together, and they couldn't leave until they solved the problem, which mm. is really what the mediation of disputes is. is you so how did that work, and how did it come out? Uh, it came out with, with a remarkable number of agreements because everyone was bound to this process, and when you're bound to the process and you've agreed to it, you, you need to make some progress or you feel like you're completely irrelevant. What you're doing is not of any value. So it actually worked. He's a, a practicing lawyer in New York City now, but it's a great book. Mm. Your book is what we're talking about. My book today. is a lot easier to read than... It has, yeah, you kind of bring us all down to a simple... It has a sensational <laughs> illustration package. It does. <laughs> It, really it is. It is very simple. I mean, it, yeah. it it really is about the perception that other people are depriving you. There's there. You know, if you want to go back to the left and the right. Not that I want to start an argument about it, but if you, you know, it, it's like one side blames one group of people for the problems, and the other side blames another group of people for the problems. And but everyone is blaming someone or something. Excuse me. For the problem, and then making a claim to an entitlement of some sort. So, how do you solve that? How do you solve that problem? Alone. Take me through the process of solving that problem. And you can well, use there that, are actually use there, are consen- there are consensus building institutes that bring together, um, you know, people on say the pro-life and the pro-choice coalitions together to see how much they actually agree upon so that they can work together in those areas in which there's agreement, which allows the two sides to talk. There's a, there's a, um, there's a, a state called autistic hostility, and it's when you have an argument with someone and then you separate, and you're, you're not speaking to one another at all. So you separate in that in a hostile state, and then everything that comes in about the person who you're separated from, this is probably true about your divorce, the person you're separated from, you just read it negatively because you've demonized the other party. But I don't want to demonize the other party. This is, in my situation, I don't want that. I'd prefer, and I've had my lawyers send letters to that effect, but that's not going to work. It just doesn't work. Hello? Well, have you sat down with a third-party neutral 
to try and help you walk through those issues because you, I have seen people who have mur- murdered other people's children come together with the parents of those children blah, blah, blah. to solve the blah 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 blah. Who, who's this? Okay. This show ass. Would you just unplug it? Go home, please. Enough. Who is this? Who is this? That's really nasty. Who put that call through? Who was it? Laura? Who was it? I don't know. Is this Laura? Never mind. Go back to to our guests. That was just, if you want to talk about rude, that was number one on the list. Yeah. So let's move on. I've been, uh, I'm a trial lawyer. I've been subject to much worse than that. I I think so. It doesn't bother me. I'm also a mediator. We can't meet Marie. Uh, You know, and anybody anybody that (laughs) works in, by the way, you know how how much time I give to the anonymous? Let's move on. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Please. So, um, yeah, please. When you refer to, when you refer to uh, murderers meeting the victims' families, yeah. it's a forgiveness issue, and it's a very real, uh, very, hu- very human thing to do. But it doesn't have anything to do with. Con- well, uh, let me not say that it doesn't have anything to do with conflict. You don't know what happens. Vic. You don't okay. know the end of the story. Well, I, I, I think you com- when, you, when you compare that to uh, uh, bringing it back to politics, the left versus the right, it's 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 very simple. The left wants more government control. They want more of the decisions being made via a central authority where we, on the right, want the decisions left up to the individual. When you mentioned the abortion thing earlier, the abortion thing is very simple. We don't think it should be federal. Let the states decide. Education, let the states decide. Healthcare, let the states decide. Let the individual have the power to make a decision on his or her own life and keep the feds out of it. And that's the difference. And that's what it boils down to. Choice versus being mandated through regulation, through taxation, uh, what you can and cannot do. And that's, that, that differentiates socialism in my, or, or progressivism or liberalism from conservatism in, in, in a boil down in a, in a nutshell. Well, certainly states' rights are a long-time Republican talking point. I, I, I just I'm not really interested in having fight about the left and the right. It's not. A, it's not a fight. I'm just. I'm just. I'm. I'm well, what are you doing in here? We got another. We got a different show going. <laughs> not a fight. Okay. okay, you were saying, Victoria. Uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> All right. So we have name, and then what's the next item? Blame. Blame. And we and got, then, okay, so we talk now, about how do you get past that? Well, you, usually it moves name, blame, and claim. So then you, you, you claim an entitlement to have someone stop, for instance, uh, burdening your right to do business the way you want to do it because you're anti-regulation. And um, you, you make a claim. You make a claim politically or you make a claim in court. You bring a lawsuit or you uh, knock on somebody's door and threaten them. I mean, that's how you make a claim. I was meeting with some um, delegates from the Congo, and we were talking about mediation, and they said, um, you know, could you help us set up mediation in our country? And I said, well, you know, I can't, but I know some people who probably could help you. And I said, what kind of system do you have now? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, do you have, like, a court system? And they said, oh, no, there's no system. There's just gunfire. 
So, you know, the system that the systems that we have in place right now are systems that generally prevent viol- the violent resolution of disputes. But then there's the violent resolution of disputes. Then there's the violent resolution of disputes. But in your book, where you're dealing with the grow uh, the ABCs of conflict resolution for grown-ups. Yes. Once you're past the the uh, the name naming, blaming, and claiming part, how do you get to the resolution? How do you how do you get to to uh, coming to some sort of, of point of unity? You have to begin with individual accountability. That I'm accountable for whatever part I'm playing in in this dispute. And if I weren't playing a part in the dispute, there wouldn't be a dispute. Right? No, agreed. Go back to the divorce for two seconds, not to, to be self-serving. That's just my wife. But but there's no no claim. There's blame. There's no there's blame on one side. I'll claim fifty percent of it. Um, and I've said to her, I said, look, I'll I'll take fifty percent of this deal. Uh, I won't take fifty one or forty nine. She goes, oh, you're leaving it all on me. Right. <laughs> well, that's why that's why it's sometimes good to have a neutral third party. Try that. You tried that? Sure, we're doing five years of therapy. Oh, no, that's not a neutral third party. Okay, so what is a neutral third party? What should I have? Tell me party, what to get here. A neutral third party is someone who's trained in conflict resolution. Okay. Who helps the parties either resolve the conflict, to use the conflict in a way that it transforms their experience of the conflict and of one another and of the way in which they manage conflict, and then to come to some kind of agreement and then... So in, in divorces, in your, in, in your okay, I should have let you finish. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I don't do divorces. No, I'm not asking you to, but you've seen it. I mean, you know. Well, I've lived it. Again and again and again. <laughs> but, you know, join the club. There's 75 divorces in here. Then, you know, it's no you big haven't deal. had a divorce yet, have you, Vic? Not so far. Seven months into that first not marriage, yet. she's walking. Anyway, and, and by the way, I'm on your side. Thanks a lot, Howard. No, I'm on thanks, your side. thanks for the vote of confidence. It's, but no, I'm on your side. You don't get it. No, it's good, not, it's good not to be. They never understand until they're there. It's not to be cynical for the young people. I guess. Should I, I let them step into it? Should I just let them get married? Well, the thing is that. Not to start the if I can make a, offer a, a thought here, yes, please. Is that it's not that we solve the problem and then get united. It is getting united that it, that creates the atmosphere to solve the problem. Right. It's a problem-solving process, and so you put the problem on the table, and you sit on the same side of the table, you know, metaphorically or actually, and you separate the the animosity. From resolving the problem, because there's always a problem. How do you do that? Center. How do you separate the animosity? Seriously, that's that's a skill. Yeah, it, it's why people go to school to school to learn conflict resolution and then mediate. It comes down to a basic concept of how one does consultation. The way it is usually done wrong is you start with opinion and emotion and then argue. The way it may be done correctly, and correct me if I'm incorrect, is that first you get just basic factual data. You find the ethical, moral, or legal, whatever principle, and you apply it to it to come up with a course of action. But if you start with the emotion and the opinion first, you've already screwed the boots. Well, you have to give up being right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to give up being right. And you, you have to give up being right in favor of solving the problem and moving forward. So you give up... In a dispute, in, in you both actually, parties have to give up. If you right. claim, if you claim, can, do you have to give up 
you're fifty percent to one hundred percent. You say that's the end. Well, of that's it? a that's a stupid mediator's solution to a problem. Okay. To cut the baby in half is. Well, okay. How do you? you know, so, so if I want to solve this thing, I've got to give up. Because we value things differently. So, for instance, um, I had a dispute with a hotel I was staying at, and um, about the quality of their service, and I called them. Um, I don't know. The second night I was there, and said, "Listen, I'm very unhappy." And I'd like the hotel to do something for me that will make me ever want to stay with you again. And so what I suggest is that you take off of my bill those things that are really low cost to you but high price to me. Okay. So take the dinner off. Take the movie off. Take the uh, phone charges off. Take off the stuff that doesn't cost you you that much. doesn't cost me nothing. So that's called log rolling. It's a negotiation technique. And it doesn't require people to split things in half. Because you value things differently. So how did... Well, we're done. I can't believe it. Will you come back? Well, you'll never come back here. <laughs> you'll never come She'll back. She'll run out of here screaming. Oh, God. The book is called A is for Asshole, and she has met her fair share today. And it's available both electronically... Yes. Yes. And in Kindle paperback. And in paperback. And it's easy. It's a quick and easy read and fun and... and um, it's valuable. It's valuable. Yes. Thank you, guys. So whatever you have planned for today, the first thing you do is you buy the book, A is for Asshole, A Grown-Up's Guide to the ABCs of Conflict Resolution with cute little graphics of horrible monsters eating your life. Yes. yes. I, I like the graphics. You love, well, that's because you like horrible. $7.99 on Kindle. $7.99 on Kindle. No better deal. No better deal anywhere. So buy all her books and buy mine, too, while you're at it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> As long as you're there. Hey, Howard, do you have a book? I have a book called My 50, no, I'm sorry, My 89 Days with Paula Abdul. But you haven't written it yet. <laughs> but I'm going to, I'll write that one for you, Howard. Thank we'll you. make some money with it. That's, we really could do that. Uh, speaking of conflict, uh, Magic Matt Allen and Ralph Odierna, the Demons of Decadence, coming up next on the standard of a beleaguered and tempest-tossed broadcast industry. They call it Outlaw. Radio, come on!